Hello, everyone, and a big, big thank you to Sarah for being with us today. Um, for those who don't know, Sarah is an absolute, um, she's called a unicorn. Um, I'm really excited because I think she combines a very unique, um, you know, um, strategic level thinking with like some um, tech chops. And more importantly, she has like very opinionated stances, which is always awesome. Uh, so I'm really excited to um, dive a little bit into how she managed to, um, you know, become the uh, the awesome marketing ops person she is today and any kind of career advice that she might have for uh, folks in the chat. Um, so before we get started, just want to um, cover a couple of like housekeeping stuff. So please um, do ask questions in the chat. Uh, I think Sarah mentioned a couple of times that uh, she really wants um, to be able to, you know, give you folks that are here today as much valuable information as possible. And so if you have questions, if there's anything that you want her to go a little bit um, deeper into, or if you have questions about like how to approach a given problem or whatnot, uh, please do use the um, question tab or just even in, in the chat and we'll kind of be monitoring that as we go. Um, we have the awesome giveaways uh, that are still happening. So for this month, I think we're still, yeah, um, will be the uh, Yeti cooler. Uh, and then next month will be the um, wine subscription. So you have a chance of winning this aside from all the awesome information that Sarah is going to give us today. Um, so without further ado, um, I want to jump into uh, our topic today with Sarah. So again, there, Sarah, thanks a ton for um, for being here. It's really awesome to have you. And I guess to, to kick it off, I mean, the first question I have is you, um, you've managed to create, uh, like an, an awesome brand for yourself. Um, I think both internally, like everyone I've spoken to that has worked with you is only amazing things to say, but also externally, I think when we look at how, um, people view you and like the brand that you project is, is really super strong. And so, I was curious, like what, um, like how do you think MOPS uh, professionals can do a better job at branding themselves, both internally and externally? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. I think that a lot of it has to do with delivering things. As simple as that sounds, I think a lot of people like talk the talk, but can you also walk the walk? And especially when it comes to like, I'm I'm really proud that the marketers that I work with. Like we have great relationships. And I think a lot of that is they know that I'm in it with them. And I, I try to take the same approach with the advice I give on LinkedIn or anywhere else. I try to think about what is going to help people. I'm not into, you'll see some like the, the more hypey stuff that again, sounds great, but probably won't really work in reality or only works for a really specific group of people. I try to give the best advice that I can, the best effort that I can. And I think that's really the key uh, when people feel like you're in it with them and if they aren't successful, then you don't feel like you're successful either. I think that does a lot for building that trust and that makes everyone more successful. If we have issues where like you see a lot between sales and marketing where it's like there isn't really communication, people feel like they have separate goals instead of the same goal together, then that's where you start running into problems. So I, I think a lot of it just has to do with being like it's like consistency and delivering things that get people excited and make them feel successful. Yeah. And I think one of the the points that you brought up a couple of times that I thought was really interesting was um, 
remembering to always focus on what people care about. And I think that's like one of the things that um, that stood out really of like that ability to remember, like if you're talking to a technical person, what they care about is the technicality. When you're talking to a CEO, what they care about is like the money or whatever it's going to bring to the company. Um, and yeah, maybe if you can tell us a little bit about that and, and some stories where like, you know, looking back, you feel like you could have done maybe a better job and something that could uh, inspire people to find what is the right level um, to adopt when you're talking. I think hopefully in a lot of situations I've been lucky where if I start going on like a tangent that someone doesn't care about, they'll be like, you can just tell because they'll listen respectfully, but then they'll be like, but what about this? And they'll kind of like reroute back to, well, this is what I'm really <laughs> interested in. And I feel like that over time has helped me kind of almost in my mind build personas where it's like, if, you know, an executive cares about this. They don't care about hearing what's happening in the marketing automation platform on this like automation rule or this nurture program. They want to know big picture things, whereas marketers want to understand more of the detail. And I try to also really get a sense, like get to know the people because some people, maybe technology isn't in their job description, but they have a really good understanding of it. And so you want to make sure you don't sit there and tell them like marketing automation 101, because again, you're going to lose them. They're going to be like this person. And then the most damaging thing that can happen is people can get offended because they're like, wow, this person really is explaining to me like, what is Marketo? <laughs> uh, so yeah, I try to really get to know the person. Um, it's funny. I oftentimes will just go to LinkedIn, even for people like other employees that I work with that maybe I haven't met yet, just to kind of read, like, how do they describe themselves? What do they feature on their profile to get a sense of what their interests are and their background? Yeah, that makes sense. And and I think an element that, um, again, to me was really interesting is your your background in kind of the agency slash consultant world, where I think one of the amazing things that that brings to you is that you have this very like project oriented kind of approach where you're thinking, well, as a consultant, you're brought in to solve a specific problem and you're going to have to interact with different people at different levels. And um, there's like, keep always like bearing in mind what the, the success of the, the project is. And so I wonder today when, like, is this something that you kind of like still have where you feel like when you're starting a project, even internally, you try to think of it almost like as a consultant mentality of like, what is the success? Who are the stakeholders? And kind of like doing that internal like mapping of who cares about this? Yes, definitely. And I think something that I lean on a lot from my consulting days is selling an idea or a solution because not everything, like I know something we talked about was not everything that we want to do in marketing operations is sexy to marketing. Like maybe it's something like maintenance that we need to do or something in the back end that again, an executive isn't going to get excited about. So they're not going to be like, let's throw budget at that because they're like, this is not exciting. So this is, I, you know, if they can't see how it will impact their pipeline, it's not exciting. So it's kind of wrapping anything that we feel like we need to do that we understand as technologists will impact their pipeline like numbers. We have to kind of frame it that way and sell it. So I think that's been a huge asset for me is understanding how to sell things, not just say, well, I feel this way. Because again, it's like, even if people respect you, they're like, okay, but what else? Okay, like you feel that way, that's great. Why should I feel that way? Uh oh, I lost your audio. Oh, my bad. Yeah. One of the things that uh, to me also is like very much like 
close to that consulting background, and you were mentioning this framework of the yes, uh, no, yes. Um, and, and then you mentioned how like, it was great, like people also were very happy that you were not just a wall of no as a marketing ops. So maybe if you don't mind, like, I think sharing that story is super relevant uh, to the team. And I think it also goes to that consulting mentality where as a consultant, you rarely, rarely just like say no, whenever people ask you questions and like as a consultant, I mean, like ultimately if you just say no all the time, you're going to run out of business. Um, so yeah, would love to, um, to hear your story there. Yeah, so I have to give, I see Steph Dombeck is in the, the audience. I have to give her major credit for that. Um, she introduced that like kind of phrase and concept into my professional world. And I think it's really important where, like I, I remember the story I told you was I was having dinner with like a, a VP of marketing where he had a really warm relationship. And so it was totally unexpected, but they 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 said to me, it was kind of like one of those compliments, like a compliment and not really like a diss, but you're just kind of like, ooh. Because they were like, you know, I'm so glad that you're on the team because you're not one of those marketing ops people that's just a wall of no. And I, and I was like, you know, hearing that, you're like, well, wait a minute. <laughs> what do you mean? So sometimes I say no. Um, but I think the key to that perception is when you can't do something, you don't just say no. You lead with, yes, I understand. Like I hear your problem or your pain point or the potential that you see, the opportunity. But no, we can't quite do it the way that you want. But I try to always come back with some kind of solution or some way to address it. Or if we can't address it right now, some kind of like, we will revisit this in a month, in three months, you know, next quarter, whatever it may be. I really, really, it's like a pet, it's becoming a pet peeve of mine when people just say no, and then just kind of like act like it's not their job to worry about following up on it. And maybe that harkens back to my consulting days too, now that I think about it. But I just think that that is, poor practice because people feel like you don't take them seriously and you're not listening. So I try to always follow up with either, yes, this is what I can deliver is like a V1, or if I can't deliver anything for some reason, here's when we will revisit this, that like your opinion matters, I hear you, you know, we'll add it to a backlog or we'll, we'll revisit it when we can, we'll have more bandwidth or whatever, like the blocker goes away. Right. Uh, no, that makes a ton of sense. And I think it's uh, it's a good segue into a question that we have from the chat where, because um, like, I think one of the reasons why a lot of people end up saying no, is just like, it's almost like a, like a safeguard, right? You want to make sure that you just don't get like inundated with a bunch of like questions all the time. And like everyone is asking, um, you know, stuff from you. And I think, I mean, the, um, uh, the LinkedIn post that, um, that you used to kind of introduce the, the webinar today was talking about you wake up in the morning and there's already like three Slack messages about like this super critical and important stuff that someone forgot to tell you about. And now it's last minute and you have to jump into it. So uh, I think, yeah, a great question from Sander to like get a sense for how do you keep your sanity if you consider you do? <laughs> if I consider I do. Yeah, yeah um, I would say a lot of it has to do with setting expectations. Um, I am a stickler for like, here's our SLA on certain things. And I, sometimes I feel like a broken record because you have to be on like, hey, like unless this is an urgent like triage issue, this, you know, here's our SLA on answering this. Um, so I try to make sure that it's clear that I, I see messages. So like I, I do have a cadence of like checking in and making sure that nothing is wrong but I'm not going to answer everything the second that I see it because then I can't get anything done. Like, I think that's what a lot of people, especially 
with the whole like COVID kind of remote style that's happening, not the regular remote. A lot of people are experiencing that where if there's any kind of messaging tool where the message hits right away, people feel like it needs to be an immediate answer. I'll tell you, like I don't do that, even considering where I work. <laughs> so, uh, so yeah, definitely like you know, figure out what works for you in terms of what makes you productive and happy and makes your team able to get results, and make sure that you communicate that and become like a broken record on sharing with other stakeholders or other teams that you work with on, hey, this is the way that we work, and here's why. And I find that usually that is respected. And if it's not, you just explain, hey, I have stuff, you know, I have goals for the quarter too. So I've got to, this is why I can't be on the, you know, on the line all the time. Right. And and I think there was something really interesting yesterday that, I mean, the more we were talking about this topic and it, to me, it really resonated with a lot of um, questions and problems that we see in product management, right? There's also like this kind of constant ping of like, hey, I need this feature, I need this, I need that. And if, if you just say no all the time, if you're like the kind of PM that says no all the time, it's really detrimental to the overall growth of the company. But at the same time, you cannot say yes all the time. So there's this need to go and discover like what is the need behind the question and is there a way to solve it easily or is it something that we want to um, table for later and I know one of the topics that uh, I mentioned that I, I wanted to cover today is a little bit of like career strategy and it seems to me like as the role of marketing ops is evolving there's a lot more similarities with project you know product management of like having like this like tech stack that's becoming complex that you need to manage with different tools and like being very connected to um to the business so um i was curious like do you feel that way and maybe is there like any uh kind of resources that you've used that have helped you figure out actually how to um think about building these prioritization lists or even like almost like concept of sprints yes so so the first thing I would say about this is that I try really hard to not join any organizations where marketing operations isn't seen as a strategic investment. Um, I understand that not everyone has that luxury, but when you do for, look for a new job, I try to get a gauge on that. Like, how, how does the CMO feel about marketing operations? Is it something that's seen as IT or is it something, you know, and, and kind of as you, you know, the donut maker, like you make this thing and then you go away? Or is it someone that marketing executives meet with? And to, for me, that's been a huge plus in everything that I do is having that line of communication with executives, because then I can easily go to them and be like, hey, so here are my top five priorities that I have that we're working on. You know, someone in your team approached me and said that this is top priority. Is that the case? And having a really great relationship with that person is huge because then they can help manage the team in coordination with you and let that person know like, hey, you know, they kind of almost take some of that work of like the yes, no, yes. Like, hey, we understand this is priority. We're really focused on these five things that we feel like will generate the most revenue for us. So we're gonna add this to the list, but we can't get it to it until these things are done. And that helps kind of not put marketing operations in the place of saying no all the time. Because I think that's important too, is making sure that like there, there are certain functions that are better positioned to say no than marketing operations. Like when it comes to like procurement, for example, I try to not get in the way of that. Uh, I've noticed that sometimes people will jump in and try to like have a voice in that. But to me, 
it's better if procurement says no and then I back them up versus I come out there and say no because I'm just needlessly taking on negative vibes. Like that's not my that's not my role. And why would I want that? Like that's not <laughs> beneficial to my relationship with marketers. Yes, it's finding finding someone who can say uh, no for you. Um, and one of the things that um, I mean that comes up is how do you um, like as you're rolling out potentially like any kind of change in uh, in marketing? Like this is a challenge that I hear a lot of customers have, uh, and just a lot of professionals on the marketing side. Like change management is incredibly uh, complicated, and getting adoption from you know upstream downstream like uh across the team is difficult how do you think about managing adoption for any of the like changes you release or new products that you bring into the stack i feel like adoption becomes a big issue when you don't communicate with people like when you don't already have cadences of communication so i try to meet with not only marketing but meet with sales meet with sales operations like have some kind of cadence because then generally people are on the same page or if I can't have like a live meeting cadence because things have been crazy with meetings during COVID, I try to have like an offline, like that's, that's a great usage of Slack too, is to just to send like an update, like, hey, here are the things we're focused on, here's the status, here's how it may, and then I'll kind of personalize it for each group, like here's what's coming up that I may need your help on or you may see a ticket or something like that to give them a heads up. Um, in terms of adoption, something, a mistake that I see a lot of people make is assuming things. Like people, especially on the executive level, they'll, they'll just assume that someone, is, like if I just direct someone to do something, that they're gonna be thrilled and they're gonna wanna do it. Like the classic example in marketing operations is replacing any kind of platform, especially the marketing automation platform. It's like a lot of times that ends up being a political decision and then just kind of gets, but then it's funny because they'll drop it on the people who may feel passionately about it. And I understand that like not everyone can be a part of the decision itself. Like sometimes there are other you know variables and we can't have like, I hate complete group consensus on things because things never happen that way. But but I think it's important to take people along on the journey. And again, it's it's almost like that yes, no, yes thing where it's like, yes, I want your perspective. No, I can't necessarily change our decision based on it, but it's, you know, you're a valued member and I want to hear your perspective so we can consider it. I think that's really important because when people feel like they're along for the journey, they will adopt it is what I found at least. Like they, they understand it's coming, they get excited. I also do internal marketing for things. So I try to always wrap something in positivity. Like, you know, here's this new thing coming out here's what it means for you. That's going to be awesome. Versus just like, here's this thing coming out. Like, oh, we're just making this change. And like, no right. one's going to get excited about that. They want to know what does it mean for them? Right. And and so maybe on, and, and I love this, I think there's kind of almost like two parts. Of it. There's one of them, which you just mentioned, right? Where let's say you're the, um, the owner. Uh, I mean, you kind of manage like the Marketo instance and uh, there's a new CMO that comes in and say, oh, I hate Marketo. We're moving on to Pardot. How um, how would you recommend going about, you know, like having a conversation to um, to make sure you and the rest of the team actually will feel like they are a part of the conversation rather than just, by the way, we've decided we're moving to Pardot, just make it happen. I try to, so like if, if a new executive were to join, I would try to 
build a relationship as quickly as I can with them. Um, and that again has to kind of do with like positioning, right? Like I, I want to position our group to be a consideration. Um, so I want to kind of get in early on that. And I think that helps a lot because then it just occurs to people like, oh, this is a person to loop in or this is the group to loop in. I think another thing is explaining, okay, if we migrate, this is what it will take. Like, this is the amount of hours. Like I, I saw someone comment uh, in the, in the the chat channel about just like the the years of work that goes into setting up a marketing automation platform and perfecting processes and things like that so really you know portraying that and being like here's what it will take to move things and that to me really puts the onus on that decision maker like is it really worth it to switch at this point because many times i see them kind of back off they're like well wait a minute <laughs> that seems like a lot of money a lot of extra money and a lot of work um, and it just puts more pressure on the decision. Is it something that someone just feels in a moment or is it something that they're willing to put a lot of money behind because they feel really passionately about it and they've thought it through? Yeah, that makes sense. And, um, and, and on the flip side, there's like the element of, um, you were saying like, it's important like to, um, to have that, you know, like ongoing, car, um, relationship with people that are end users of the products to make sure that when, you know, you're releasing something new or uh, making an, uh, an update that you can help drive adoption because you're highlighting like here are like the positive elements of why we're, we're making this change. Um, like the first thing that comes to mind is the relationship with sales. And I'd be curious to hear like how you've managed your relationship with sales over time. And like, what are some of the things that you've learned um, to make that relationship tighter and like just make sure that there's a lot of trust there? Um, yeah, just curious to hear about that. Yeah, I think one of the biggest value adds that marketing operations has in terms of like a strategic value is being that connection between marketing and sales. And even like as you see revenue ops kind of kick up the like customer success and some of the other teams as well. So I think it's really important to meet with sales. It's, it's really interesting. I feel like not a lot of people do that because whenever I do meet with them, they act like it's like a, a, a very exciting surprise. <laughs> like if I join an organization, they're like, like no one listens, you know, no one cares to meet with us and hear what our issues are. We just have to open a ticket or something like that. So I try to make a point to meet with them, to really listen to, like I do like a day in the life with them for the different roles to see what kind of issues they run into. Mm -hmm. I also make sure though, to set the expectation that like just because they show me a problem doesn't mean that I can solve it or at least solve it right away. That like it, it gets on my radar as something to highlight, especially when it comes to like marketing. It's like if I learn that leads aren't even going to a, the right sales rep to follow up with, that's a huge deal for marketing in terms of having successful leads that lead to money. Um, so things like that, I can help prioritize and really get a lot of attention on them and get them resolved. But um, but that's another mistake I see is sometimes people don't set that expectation and then that leads to frustration that can kind of backfire because then sales is like, oh, I met with marketing ops and they said that, you know, I assumed that they were just going to solve everything. <laughs> it's like, no, 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 no. Um, so, yeah, I think it's important to have a cadence to meet with them, to hear what they're experiencing so you can be an advocate for them. Because when you're an advocate for sales in a roundabout way, you're an advocate for marketing because you want sales to want to pick up those leads and close them. If something is broken along the way, then that, you know, in my opinion, falls in your scope and needs to be highlighted. 
Right. And I think you had an amazing story around that also. Uh, um, like I, I know, uh, um, like pretty often in, in these confessions, like the word empathy comes up a lot of like, you need to have empathy for the other folks that interact with the output of your product. And I think you had this comment about, well, you know, there was this release and we're saying, oh, there's these new leads that you should be working for some reasons, like sales is not working them. And then you took the the time to actually log in as a rep into Salesforce to only realize that, you know, reps didn't necessarily have visibility on those leads. And, and just, I think like that is like going like one step beyond, like just like saying empathy and actually like putting yourself in the SDR shoes and see, okay, if I'm the SDR logging into Salesforce, what do I see? Is it helpful? And, and maybe like some of the changes that you've made in the background haven't been applied to that layout or uh, to anything of the sort. And I thought that was like a very telling story of how um, you can go beyond just, um, you know, meeting with them, but also trying to um, like preemptively kind of figure out what might be going on. Yeah, definitely. I think the, the so there's empathy, which is a major key, but I also feel like just not making assumptions is another one. Um, we try to really not assume intent and we try to, not make assumptions like i always say trust but verify like i trust that when people tell me what they're experiencing or what they think is happening that that really is what they think is happening but that doesn't mean that that's what is happening especially if it's not another technologist you know in their mind they're like this is what i've heard is supposed to be happening but then many times when i dig into the platforms i'm like well this isn't what's happening <laughs> or right. or maybe they're seeing a slice that's successful there's other huge slice that's not successful um, so I really try to listen closely to what people say and, and something else that came up recently was also listening to what people aren't saying, <clears throat> because sometimes people will come to you with like, you know, oh, I'm not getting leads that are high enough quality. And in their mind, it's like this, or actually, actually a better example is like, we, we don't have a landing page builder that is serving our needs. And on face value, you're like, oh, okay. Like this person thinks that the landing page builder we have isn't great. But then usually I try to take the time to sit down with them and really like hear through, hear their story that they're telling about what's happening. And more often than not, when someone's trying to buy a new piece of software, it's not about the software. It has nothing to do with that. It's that someone is kind of lost in their role. Like maybe they're not sure what they're supposed to be doing. So they're trying to figure out something to some kind of value to add. So they feel like, well, I'm adding this new thing that's going to be better. And so that's my value add. Sometimes it's that there's some kind of process internally that isn't working very well. So they're trying to work around it. It's like, it's almost like you start to absorb things, right? They're like, oh, like our swag gifting, you know, uh, group or agency is really slow and I hate it. So we're just going to, you know, buy this other software so we can do it internally. But when you kind of work through that, you're like, well, that's not really the answer because then who's going to manage that? And you're still going to run into a lot of the same problems. So let's let's see what we can do with the current situation and see if we can improve that and, you know, see what those issues are, get to the bottom of it versus trying to work around it. So I think it's really important to listen to what's being said, but then to kind of ask questions and kind of pull out, you know, what how are they feeling about things like what's going on in the background? Mm -hmm that may be the real reason why someone's trying to buy something or do something. Right. Yeah, I think that the folks at Basecamp wrote a lot of stuff around that. It's like identifying the why behind the why. It's like very often when you ask people like, why did you buy this? They're gonna give you a very rational answer of like, oh, well it had like this feature and that feature and it did this. But then 
Like you have to like spend time peeling the onion to understand like what is really happening in the background that led them to change from the current state they're in. And, and I think that's like a good segue into one of the questions that I, um, I hear a lot of folks have is like, how do I, um, how do I get budget? Like if I've identified something that I think we should fix as a marketing ops, how do I get budget internally? I think a lot of it has to do with showing value. Like no, if you if you sit back and accept the role of like a donut maker and you're just kind of like, and, and kind of like all the things, it kind of threads together all the things we talked about, right? Like if you constantly say no, or if you more often than not just say no and you don't explain why, you don't give any kind of timeline or anything. If you don't meet, meet with executives and explain, you know, what things you're working on, if you don't prioritize correctly, for things that are going to make marketing successful. Those are all things that are going to make it hard when you try to turn around and say, hey, I see this area of area of investment or, hey, we need more team members or more headcount because they're going to look at it and be like, well, like, why? Like, you know, I'm not seeing a whole lot of value out of this team. Why would I want to add more people? Whereas if you can make those wins, like, hey, you know, sales is following up with leads. And it's like, well, actually, they just can't see it. So let's just fix that. And then they see their numbers go up, you know, that's, that sells itself. They're like, whoa, if we can get more of this, this is great. Like this is a bigger investment than even some of like the, the smaller marketing things that they're doing. Cause they're actually able to optimize what, what the leads that they're getting. Right. Um, <clears throat> so I had a bunch of other questions, but like, it looks like we're getting already a lot from, from the chat. So I want to actually start picking some, uh, from there and, uh, yeah, if we run out of questions, I still have a bunch, uh, but so pretty interestingly on, in your bio, you say that, I mean, at, today at Slack, like, again, like this is what I like, uh, about your profile, like you're like strategic and helping marketing. And at the same time, like you evaluate a lot of new tools. Um, and one of them is like evaluating kind of new ABM tools, uh, as you mentioned. And so Stephanie was asking, is ABM dead? So curious to hear your, uh, hot take on that. Um, I feel like my answer to that would be, what is ABM? Like, I feel like so many things are called ABM that it's becoming like a meaningless word. Um, I would say that. It's funny because ABM became almost like a marketing term. And, and I say that lovingly to all the marketers <laughs> out there, but, um, but it did where it kind of lost meaning. Now everything's ABM, but nothing is ABM. Um, in fact, it was funny. I had a conversation recently about like, oh, we want to kickstart ABM campaigns, but is ABM a tool or is it a strategy? Because like there were some folks trying to approach it as like, oh, well, if we just get six cents, then we'll be able to do ABM. And it's like, well, that's not like, like the, the platform isn't the strategy. The platform can enable the strategy <clears> and it can maybe enrich it in ways and give more like functionality. But if you don't have like a baseline strategy around how do you, how do we surround an account or how do we identify valuable accounts that we want to close on or expand, then you're going to have a bad time. Like you're just going to spend a bunch of money. And at the end of the year, you're going to be like, how can I justify keeping this tool? So I would really stress the importance of defining use cases and success before you buy a tool. And in terms of ABM, I'm still waiting on like an exact definition of what that is. Yeah. No, it, so it, I can't it, decide if it's dead or not. I think it's alive and I think it will persist actually. That's my answer. Nice. 
Um, and it, this is also like a theme that I think we've heard across uh, a lot of these uh, conversations is um, <clears throat> I think that yeah, the most successful MOPs are very good at helping companies understand that um, you can't compensate a lack of strategy with an abundance of technology. But the problem is that every single vendor out there is trying to have you do that because they're trying to sell you the tech. Uh, and, and oftentimes where we see things fail is because, sure, you can buy whatever tool for outbound or for ABM, but if you don't know how to write an outbound message, if you don't know how to you know, um, show your value out there, then it's just not gonna happen. And tech is never gonna solve that. Um, so yeah, I at least I'm in full uh, alignment with you on like ABM. I think from the perspective of like ABM being like how we used to do, I guess, enterprise sales of thinking of like you need to sell to a company and not just to a person. I think that's like well and and alive and will stay for uh, for a long time. Um, I, th I think when it comes to marketing, I think we use a lot of terminology, but when it comes down to it, people are people. Mm -hmm. And so like, certainly if you, you know, I work at Slack, if you send a message to me about Slack, I'm more likely to open it because I'm like, oh, is this related to work or like, what is it? But to me, that's less of ABM and more of just personalization. And I think it'll be interesting. I think in the next few years, we'll see the B2B world kind of start to merge with B2C or at least start picking up some of their like newer tools and strategy. Because I think it's not as simple as, oh, you know, this, this person, is it this account? So we just talk to them this way. I think a lot of this has to do, like at the core of it, it's just personalization. Right. I, I have a graph usually to represent this. I think to me, at least ABM is understanding that within an account, there's a bunch of, of different people that have different aspirations, desires, and and uh, yeah, and ambitions. And it's, it's mapping to that to understand like what they care about, which goes back to your point initially of saying like the way you drive change within an org is understanding what do people care about and making sure that you align the conversation with that. And so the, um, the slide I typically use is there's this uh, awesome uh, chart of the story of the Lord of the Rings, um, which shows you like all the characters and how they evolve over the show. And it's the idea that it's like the Lord of the Rings is a super simple story. It's like a fellowship. They want to destroy a ring. And there's a bunch of people that play different roles in there. And like ABM is similar in the sense that you have Maybe you only have one ring bearer who's going to destroy the ring, uh, but you have like people helping them go through it. You have people who have like conflicting interests and might want to steal the ring for themselves for whatever reason. And you have some instigator somewhere like Gandalf kind of like starting the whole thing that doesn't necessarily like show up that often and could even be absent for like half of the selling process, but actually has a, a big role in there. And I think too often people just view ABM as like, oh yeah, we're going to close enterprise accounts by doing like, cute ads uh, targeted to this company. Yeah, I think, and in fact, that's actually what I was gonna bring up is like you said, there are different personas involved. So when you, if you think of ABM as just like, oh, this person works at this company, then you're making a mistake because an engineer, like a software engineer is not gonna think the same thing as an executive and they're not gonna care about the same messaging. So again, to me, it's still, it's kind of like, I think the the analytics part of it is interesting, like seeing uh, like account trends and who's involved and things like that. But I'm I'm not seeing a huge difference, in my opinion, between just regular personalization and targeting versus ABM. Right. Um, sweet. And then I think uh yeah, one that actually uh, I remember and Kimmy is in the in the chat, but I I think I I pinged you and asked her because uh, I think she talked about it last week is. 
how do you handle like documentation um, and of like the stack and, and what tools you use for, for documentation? I know this is something that we posted, but for the folks who potentially didn't read that, I uh, would love to get your thoughts. Um, I'll say Confluence is a great tool. Uh, I also think that something that people don't think about often when it comes to documentation is JIRA. Uh, I, I like to use JIRA in a way where I can follow a project and understand what's happening. And I can, and that way, you know, executives or just leadership can log in and see like, oh, here's what's happening on this project. And then being able to go back and see exactly what happened. Because sometimes, like, sometimes there's formal documentation where it's like, you know, here's the technical docu documentation for this tool or for this process or something, and that can live in Confluence. But then like JIRA itself, I still want to be able to link to JIRA tickets so I can see the context. I don't have to like rewrite it all the time. In fact, I've even gone as far as when it comes to campaigns in a marketing automation platform, having the JIRA ticket number be a part of like the naming convention because then if you go and you find some like landing page that's out there and you're like, this is from like 2019, what is this? You can just go look up the JIRA ticket and you can see all the conversation that happened and all the context and get a sense of who might be able to answer your question about it. That's super interesting. And it's, I mean, it, it's, I feel like, yeah, this whole thing of like how it's similar to, to product management, like lives, it makes even more sense when you're saying like talking about JIRA and Confluence, which are like core to um, kind of engineering. And and actually there's, I know in, in the chat, there's a bunch of questions that I think like to some extent um, relate to that. And one of them was, um, so when someone has a request for something to change, like what are common questions that um, you'll use to, be able to dive a little deep, a little bit deeper, and qualify the request a bit more. I would say, first, I'll ask, what is the expected outcome, or kind of like what is the backstory? Well, I'd say the expected outcome and the backstory on like what led us to this point where we have this question. I mean, it largely depends on the question, but if it's something like, "Hey, you know, why is this campaign this way?" then usually I'll either be able to answer the question or refer them to documentation or to a JIRA ticket or to someone who might know the answer. So that's a little more straightforward. If it's something like, hey, I want to look into this new strategy or this new tool, I try to take the time to understand the context of you know, kind of why the question is coming up, what their goals are, and then also get a sense of the level of priority so like I'll often ask, like, have executives been looped into this? You know, do they have a take on it? And then um, I'll, you know, I have like a weekly cadence with executives where I'll ask them about it. Like, hey, this came up in a conversation. Is this something that we should be focused on? Or kind of what's your take on it? And hear their take as well. Because usually they have, you know, some kind of insight. So I would say I, I lean on that a lot to get a sense of like, what is the purpose? What's the priority? And then the backstory helps me either figure out like, like what we talked about earlier, is there a why behind the why? Mm -hmm. Or is this really just what we're trying to do? And you know, who are the the players that should be involved? Like who should I loop in and how can I put a project together? Right. And and that I think brings to, to some extent to the next question, right? There's always going to be a ton of requests that are coming in. And there there might be things that make sense that are relevant, but um, you know, 
how do you make sure you don't build like a Frankenstein of a marketing stack where, oh yeah, like we need to send some swag for this like next event. So we're going to go and buy this one tool and we need to do this. So we're going to go and buy like Postal for this, but we're going to use Zapier and some other funky um, delivery system for something else. Like how do you keep things um, somewhat clean and orderly and not just from the standpoint of what you kind of uh, start implementing, but also keeping an eye on what other folks are doing with uh, the MarTech that is out there and like adding elements to the, the monster. I'm a huge fan of the centralized like campaign operations model. I know that there's a lot of talk about like do it yourself. And I think for small companies where communication is easy, you know, like maybe there are like five, 10 marketers or under 50 maybe. And it's like easy for them to all just kind of like have a channel and just tell each other what's going on that that would probably be the most relevant use case for that in my opinion but i'm a huge fan of having campaign ops centralized for this reason because then they see everything that's going on because they're the only ones who have the person to like build things in certain tools and then they can also like there's some synergy there on letting the main technology team know what's happening so if they start seeing like hey, people keep having issues figuring out what their list should be. It's like, well, maybe there's something in analytics that's wrong, or maybe it's something with like the list builder that we have, start kind of bubbling up issues that people are running into. Um, when it comes to like, I'm wondering if this person is asking about like rogue software. And to me that a huge part of that is having a strong relationship with procurement where we just like, it's almost like if you see something, say something. Or if someone asks them about something, they're like, you know, hey, we need to make sure we loop these people into this and they don't just approve it. Um, and same goes for just in general, like it, it's important to communicate to the different teams who they can go to and not to, to not make it too complicated. Like have one face where if someone's like, I think this is related to marketing operations but I'm not sure they can ping that person and that person can help triage like, yes, this is related to us or no, actually this is like the web team or something like that. M you know, make that as simple as possible so people are encouraged to use it. Where I see a lot of problems is when roles aren't really clear and everyone tries to be everything and then no one, it's like to, you know, as a marketer or even as someone in like customer success, you're like, I wanna reach out to someone, but I don't wanna take three hours trying to figure out who that should be. So it's like that discourages people from reaching out and being like, Hey, I saw this like rogue landing page. What is this? <laughs> right. And, and yeah, and I think that's the, probably the context of the question. I, I can definitely see <clears throat> how it's like you have people setting up these new, they set up a new landing page with a, where they create a new form and like the mapping isn't right, or they create a new field through that. Um, and making sure that, you know, the <clears throat> you don't end up with a mess of um, an automation platform because like, there, there's a bunch of things all over the place that are just not working. Um, got it. And and so that, I mean, is like through documentation I hear and through having like clear communication channels to make sure folks know who to reach out to um, in order to ask for any assistance or guidance on how to do these things. We just need to make it easy for people to work with us. The, the more complicated we make it and the more like if we make it negative, where people mm -hmm. feel like, like it's, I always say, um, it's like if you're in customer service and you make it seem like someone like broke into your house at night and like flat, you know, like and you're in bed, they like flash the flashlight and they're like, I need this landing page, you know, that like no one's gonna wanna do that. People don't like to have unpleasant experiences. So try to make it simple and pleasant. 
and whoever you know needs to be involved can get involved but just make it easy for people to report things and make it pleasant you know it'd be like thank you very much for this <laughs> give them like a pat on the back for doing so right have you found any tools that are are using any tools right now that that have helped you uh do that either it'd be like just like have a slack channel or or anything where it's like easy for people to ping and ask questions or make suggest requests it feels very meta of me but yes a slack channel <laughs> We have like a main like triage Slack channel. People just go in and report things. Okay, yeah, I mean that's and that's super helpful. And I I guess like in terms of the um and then the SLA that you have behind it is that communicated in the description of the channel. Mm -hmm. Um and and that yeah I think like it's interesting like we we try to do something similar on the product side to have like a an FAQ and a uh, request channel and then like we have different SLAs for uh for each of those. Um, I guess like on the, on the SLA topic, there were a couple questions in there in figuring out how do you, um, adjust over time the, like for maybe even like set the SLAs initially and how do you adjust them over time as the, uh, organization is growing and the number of requests is going to grow. Right. Cause like, as soon as you open the floodgates for requests to come in, like typically we see like a big influx that grows over time. So yeah. How, how do you make that manageable? I think it's really important to number one, have someone or maybe a few people, but a, a, at least one person on point for triaging things or being like an almost like an intake process, because oftentimes people request things and either it doesn't like just candidly, it doesn't make sense. It's not thought through and needs to be kicked back for them to like fill in more detail. Um, or maybe it's just, again, not a priority. So I try to, I try to work with, essentially like my bosses, right? Which usually are like marketing ops or marketing executives to understand what do they care about and to check in with them on like, here, here's the influx that we're getting. And then making sure that, because when I do that, then they're able to go to bat for either more resourcing to be like, hey, we have this many requests and we have this many people, you know, explain to me how we're gonna get this done in the hours of the day. So maybe like there's agency support that can be brought on or, you know, making the case for more headcount. It's funny, I oftentimes see marketing ops groups being like, we're overwhelmed, we don't have enough, you know, staffing, but then they don't make it easy for people to see that. Like it's, a, it's like a weird secret. It's like a, it's like a self-sabotaging secret because it's like Jira is kind of a mess. So no one can look at that and get a sense of like how many, you know, things are coming in. Um, and what level of detail that, you know, there's, there's like no reporting that anyone can see and it's not being bubbled up to the right people who have the decision-making power to be like, oh, we need more resourcing. People will just kind of like struggle silently. It's almost like this weird, it's, uh, it's, it's like we want to be tough and we don't want to admit that like we need help, but I encourage people to be vocal about, you know, here's the value that we're bringing here's the value that we think that we could bring or here are things that we're struggling with and things that we think are holding marketing back. Like not just us, but holding us back because we can't serve the marketers in the way that we want to. And, you know, and to, to for example, have like a faster SLA. It's like, here's all we can support. If you want it to be shorter, we need more people. And so to really push for that. I mean, it, you always wanna make sure that you're respectful. Like I'm not, I don't wanna encourage anyone to be like, you know, like angry, <laughs> like we need our, you know, we need, more staff and start threatening people, but it's about making the case and selling it internally. And the more that you can show examples of, you know, here are all the tickets that we have, or here are all the projects that we're working on, 
the easier that case will be. Yeah, and and backing. I mean, it's a lot of backing your requests with uh, some kind of numbers, right? If like here's like the request, like here's a potential added value. This actually, I think, is a, an awesome segue into. It's one thing, right, to constantly be addressing the current needs of the business. And Kelly actually had a, a great question on how do you compensate? I mean, how do you allocate time for training and professional development? when there is like so much to do currently and potentially you're you're already trying to get like you know more help within the team and additionally you want to carve out some time to go and um and learn i always tell leadership like if if i can't spend time learning things outside of like doing then that's just not great for the team overall like we, we need to constantly be learning new things because otherwise we're losing value it's almost like i can't think of like a great example off the top of my head but it's like if you if you don't continue to learn and become more well-rounded in things then you're going to be behind the times and i feel like that's even more relevant in marketing operations because i just saw a chart from scott brinker the other day 800 events tools it's like and, th and that's our job to understand what are a lot of those tools and what can they do and can they bring value? I can't do that fishing of like opportunity if I'm just inundated with things just to keep the ship afloat. And I really wanna put out a warning to people, like don't try really hard to not get yourself in the position where you're just taking in requests. Because again, that's gonna be a scenario where you're not, you're seen as IT, you're not seen as strategic. So I fight really hard against like, if I'm not able to have a moment to think and to plan and to research and attend events like maybe like this or like others like uh, conferences, then that's not good for marketers overall. And that's a problem that we need to address because we don't want to just be the, the donut makers because marketers shouldn't be defining technology like that. There's something fundamentally wrong with that because that's not we, we want marketers doing marketing. To me, that's a, w a waste of their talent if they're sitting there trying to like decide, like evaluate a tool on like a technical basis. We should be doing that for them. Right. That makes sense. I mean, the, yeah, the technology is meant to be an enabler, not the, I mean, it's, yeah, science that's put uh, uh, to enhance the art rather than the other way around. Um, and and on that note, um, I guess like, what are some of the um, the resources that you've seen work best? Uh, especially in these kind of like pandemic times where like conferences are, are not running a plenty as they used to. I would say I, I personally just love LinkedIn and Twitter. Um, I'll go on there and I'll find people that I admire or that I think are really smart and just follow them and try to like, you know, see what they're attending, see what they're doing, see if they're having events try to join those. Um, there also are the different Slack marketing operations groups that you can join. Um, if you, I feel like this is like, it sounds like a plug, but I promise it's not. If you go on my profile on my like featured posts, there's a post on there that has a link to all of the like major ones. I, I cannot recommend enough joining those because it's literally just like a hive mind of a bunch of brilliant people just trying to help each other out. And through that, you'll hear about, like, I, I just learned tons about different tools that maybe I haven't evaluated yet, but then you see a very thorough conversation happening amongst people who either have it already and are using it and kind of their thoughts on it or people who are currently evaluating it. And that can help kind of 
frame that conversation for yourself or know what questions to ask sales reps. Um, to me, those are all huge things that are digital that I think will be persistent even after in-person events come back in. To me, in-person events are useful for like creativity and networking. I don't tend to find many in-person events that are really like technical or really marketing operations focused. Those tend to be digital um, or they just tend to be happening in Slack channels, as weird as that sounds. Right. No, that makes sense. And I, I like the, I mean, definitely anyone who's here highly recommend that they should follow you on uh, on Twitter and, and connect on LinkedIn because there's a lot of, I think that's, at least from my perspective, that's been the easiest way. Like there's a couple of folks that you know are, are looking for things out there and are going to be pretty vocal. And it's a good way to get a bit of a curated list and to um, isolate a little bit of the, the signal away from the noise to figure out, okay, like this is something that might be worth looking into. And I think it's also important to um, find these people at different um, stages of companies because there are some people that I think are, are super active on the growth hacking side um, that have like these amazing recommendations that would just not fly at any company over 150 people because like the... Don't, don't even get me started. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to need another session on just that topic. Yeah. <laughs> there, there's a lot and, it, and it's interesting. I think like growth hacking, yeah, it's definitely like a, a complete other topic because I feel like there's, there's a lot of overlap and there's... Um, I think we briefly touched upon it, but I, I do think that uh, like growth hackers have managed to, I think, position themselves externally in a way that um, should inspire marketing ops. I think like they've managed to create this whole um, mythology around them uh, as like very, very um, um, like value oriented. And, and at the end, like it's a lot of it is marketing operations done well. Uh, and a little bit of like sales alignment. So I think there, there's a lot that could be uh, uh, learned from that. Um, that that's man. a struggle that I have is I like, when you look at LinkedIn specifically and what performs, you see a lot of like what I call, it's more of like um, aspirational posts. They're like, this might work. Like you said, like a really small company or a very specific segment but it becomes kind of hypey and I try really hard to avoid the hypiness because I just feel like it's not, it's not really helpful to people, but it definitely is something that's rewarded on LinkedIn, which I think is interesting. Like, I don't know if people just love that. Maybe it's because it's like optimistic that people love that. Um, I personally don't. And I think it does a lot of harm to, to marketing operations because like until recently, it's actually interesting. It was until very recently, a lot of the really, like top voices on there were just like, oh, just do everything in a hacky way. Marketing ops isn't really needed. And it, it is funny to see some of those people join larger companies or run marketing themselves and then come kind of come to the table. Like, well, wait a minute. You know, when I was like an individual contributor and just making a mess, then that worked for me. But now that I have to measure things and be more organized, now it doesn't work for me. Um, so I hope that that continues. And I think that will help Kind of it's like what they call it the um like the water will bring both ships up in terms of like the marketers and marketing operations where we can work better together and not not have that dialogue of like you know just do things in a hacky way and things will just magically work out and just put all the work on marketing operations to figure it out yeah yeah no that's definitely true i think i mean that's 
like overall one of the challenges of any kind of social media right where like the the most like hype uh potential content is going to be the content that gets the most hype even though like there's there's a lot that's hidden um under um awesome well i know we're we're hitting uh the top of the hour and we want to be respectful of everyone's time uh sarah this has been super super uh helpful insightful uh really love the conversation um before we let you go i mean is there anything that you want to uh, leave the folks who are still here with um, like any recommendation, where to find you, how to reach out to you. Yeah, definitely on uh, Twitter and LinkedIn and definitely check out that featured post with the Slack groups because I, I always say it's like I'm 10 times the marketing ops person that I am when I like I'm in those groups and I have so many other brilliant people to kind of bounce ideas off of or to just witness what they're thinking about um yeah I, th I think that's really it and to understand that we're all in this together uh to a certain level like i think as an industry as much as we try to put out vibes of like here's what works for me know that like everyone has a certain level of struggle in a lot of these areas and i think as the industry matures hopefully you know more of the voices can kind of get out there and get to up to the marketing executives and we can all Kind of rise up together um and definitely don't feel alone now that everyone has frustration <laughs> we're ending it on the therapy session we're in this together folks yeah. you're, you're not alone um awesome well thanks again so much for uh spending the time and sharing so much awesome insight uh thanks to everyone who uh joined us today and hopefully we'll see you around uh next time with some more um awesome folks who are joining us so have a good rest of your day have a good weekend and we'll see you all very soon thanks everyone <laughs>